94 down, 271 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I'm going to be talking about the movies The Birds, as well as Gagarin. Before I go any further, do you have a collection of sports cards sitting in your basement collecting dust? If you do, you need to reach out to Alex at Saints413Breaks. at Saints413 four one three breaks at gmail.com. I'll tell you folks a lot more about Alex and Saints four one three breaks uh, in the middle of the show. But if you have those binders full of baseball cards sitting around your basement, you're gonna want to reach out to Alex. Okay. I have with me Justin Jones. Hello Justin. How's it going, Chris? Good, good. Thank you for for joining me. And we went together. You're my uh you're my Luna theater uh, buddy here. Uh, we went together yesterday, or I guess on Sunday, uh, people hearing this later in the week, to see the birds, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds at the Luna Theater. We almost didn't go to the Luna Theater, though, because the day before, they had electrical fire in their basement, and we almost went to the Brattle to see Wizard of Oz. Um, but we uh, luckily, they I guess they cleared up that... They had closed for the entire day on that Saturday, and they reopened on Sunday, and Justin and I head over to the birds. Um, what do, I think we had a better experience at the Luna this time than we did seeing Goodfellas. I would say so. And I was actually shocked that the sound quality was a lot better in terms of uh, what we experienced with Goodfellas. You assume that's a newer movie and it's going to have, you know, all those kinks kind of worked up. But I think that actually where we sat ultimately gave us a better experience. Yeah, I agree. We sat more in the middle of the of the theater more and a little bit more in the back, maybe. Um, it's not a huge room. Um, and, you know, the sound still wasn't great. Obviously, this is an older film from 1963. Um, but also the, the crowd was much better behaved, even though they were younger crowd, there were some like, there were some like little kids in the audience, in the audience, like watching this movie. Um, but I, though I saw this movie as a little kid, so uh, I'm sure it's fine. 1963 horror isn't exactly like 2022 horror. So, um, no, and I think we both talked about it. The fact that neither you or I had seen this movie in about 30 years. So it was almost like walking into it fresh again. Yeah. I hadn't seen this movie since I was nine years old. So yeah, it's over 30 years for me. And you said you hadn't seen it in forever as well. Um, Correct. I'll say right out. I like this movie. Uh, it was okay. It's going to get a B minus for me. Um, it's bizarrely slow in the beginning. The first hour, nothing happens. Um, it's very strange. Uh, but the last hour is enough to make me recommend this movie. But I don't think you liked it as much as I did. I did not. I thought I was going to like this movie a lot more than I did. Um, I'm going to give it a C minus it's having said that I still think people who haven't seen it should see it. It is obviously a piece of important cinema, but there's just so many issues that I had with this movie from the way that certain scenes were shot. I guess if I were to take a step back, it feels like they took a one hour screenplay and tried like hell to stretch it into two. There were so many scenes where I felt like we were hanging on for no real reason. A lot of times, anytime a piece of dialogue where there was a question asked, it felt like we had to ask that question three more times. And the whole, I'm sitting there being like, what normal person in life wouldn't hear it the first time and then respond to it like a normal human being? And I think that's the biggest problem I have with this. That it seemed like, and I understand it's also a horror movie, so no one acts responsibly or acts the way they normally should, but it felt like no one had a normal reaction to anything. No, I, I definitely felt for the first hour of this movie, like Hitchcock was trolling us. Like there's a a good chunk of the first hour is devoted to finding out what an 11 year old girl's name is. And then there's right. like another like big chunk of the movie is like uh, Tippi Hedren's character, uh, Melanie, her rowing a boat. 
Like that is like a lot of the first half of, the, of this movie. And I think, and I looking into it more, I realized, I think it was Hitchcock trolling us. Like Hitchcock said, all right, listen, the movie's called the birds. Everyone's going to know who the bad guy is here. Everyone, everyone's going to know what they're up against and what's going to happen. He thought the best way to have maximum suspense is to basically like edge it, if you will, like go as long as you can without having a bird attack or having any bird element. Um, just to kind of like tease the audience and see how long you can get away with it. I don't think it works here. I don't think, for instance, I love Alfred Hitchcock movies. Um, this is not in my top, you know, top tier that I've seen at least uh, of his movies. Um, I, I don't think this is one of his best pieces. And I think a lot of it is because like you said, it is a very jagged screenplay with a, that. It's, it's very, it feels very, um, it feels like two movies because it kind of is. And then you're right. That first half is some bizarre dialogue and a lot of, like the screwball comedy, like you saw with like a uh, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn, it almost felt like that a little bit, but, and then it becomes a horror movie. And it's interesting. He wanted Cary Grant, I think originally for the role, but it couldn't afford him. So that was for that, uh, role of, uh, Rod Taylor. Yeah. They went with Rod Taylor ultimately, who was an Australian. And actually I, I assume one of the reasons you wanted to see this, do you know Rod Taylor's final role? He is, yes. He's Churchill in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Churchill in Inglorious Bastards. How cool is that? So I thought that was kind of a nice, you know, way to remember him on screen. I thought he was fine. He, he, he's the everyman of the 60s that, that kind of comes out. But in terms of just, yeah, I, I agree with the fact that we're talking about the screwball comedy. I almost like, do you remember the scene where they're actually in the restaurant talking about the birds and they're coming and no one believes them? I kept waiting for Adam West and Burt Ward to pop out as Batman and Robin. It just had that kind of look and feel to insaneness where it just, it, it lacked credulity. And it was just, it was hard to invest in the characters just based off of their reactions. Yeah, I, I can see that to some extent that it was an odd, some odd performances um, and by some decent yes. actors like Jessica Tandy's in this. And you know, if you're our age, you know, Jessica Tandy from Driving Miss Daisy or Fried Green Tomatoes, and she's incredibly old. Here she plays like a middle-aged or a little older than middle-aged mother here. Um, and she doesn't, she's a very good actress, obviously, but she doesn't, I don't think she quite fits the Hitchcock aesthetic where it, she, she doesn't seem to know how to react to things. It's very either overly dramatic or very toned down a lot of like her eyes are bulging out um but i think tippy hedren though on the flip side though is very good in this movie and i think she fits hitchcock perfectly now hitchcock worked with her one-on-one it was very controversial he he signed into a seven-year contract and then according to hedren he made sexual advances toward her she rejected them um they made a movie called marnie and then after that hitchcock froze her out Hitchcock basically made it so she couldn't work anywhere else. He was paying her for the rest of her contract. But by the end of those seven years, she really wasn't in demand anymore because she was on the bench for so long. Um, so Hitchcock kind of it made Hedren's career, but then also ruined it. Um, but Hedren, though, is very good in this role. Uh, Rod Taylor seems a little out of place. Um, you may have, if you're our age, you might remember him from uh, when like Channel 56 or Channel 38 would play The Time Machine. Um, that was a movie from 1960. Uh, it's a very good science fiction movie of its time, and, and he's the lead in that. Um, but uh, like Suzanne Pochette, for instance, to what you're talking about, people being out of place, you know, she's the, the wife of Newhart, and she doesn't quite fit in here either. There, it is some odd casting. So anyway, I kept looking at Suzanne Pochette, I kept thinking for some reason, this looks like Stockard Channing. I feel like Stockard Channing would play her 10 years later in terms of that like, visual role of the dark-haired brunette. Uh, love interest so it was it was interesting to see her. i haven't seen too much i didn't watch a lot of new art growing up 
Um, but I actually enjoyed what she brought to that role in terms of the nuance. Yeah, I, I, I did too. I, I mean, I think she's a decent actress. Um, she was in the Bob Newhart show, by the way, that was alone in the seventies and in the eighties is when Newhart had the in. Um, this was the one from, like I said, in the seventies and, uh, she had a famous for having that very husky voice and having like, and being like a, having that smoker's voice and then no surprise, she dies of lung cancer. Um, but, uh, and in, even in this movie, she's smoking quite a bit. Uh, but I mean, everyone was back then. Uh, but, um, Pochette is very grounded. So that's the thing too, is it makes for an odd viewing experience. So Pochette is a very grounded actress. And then on the flip side, you have Jessica Tandy, who is not grounded at all in this very like over dramatic at times and, and kind of wildly out of control emotionally. So if you're sitting there watching it, it's strange to go back and forth from these characters um, and try to have, I don't know, and try to kind of understand the cohesiveness of what's going on. Uh, that was challenging for me too. Well, even there's also the scenes where, you know, um, Melanie and Mitch, there was always that, that they're trying to determine what their chemistry is. And then halfway through the movie, he's kissing the back of her neck and she's like, be careful. And she had been there for a day. <laughs> she was there for one day. And in that day, not only are they now having a love you know, relationship, but, uh, you know, Kathy is saying, you have to stay for my party. Like, it means so much. We just met these people. How is this possibly working out? It just, it doesn't make sense on so many levels. Nobody acts like that. And again, I understand it's a, it's a story and we need to get things moving, but it feels like there are other ways to accomplish that. Yeah, it did feel rushed in that, in that domestic stuff for sure. Um, you're right. This little girl, so 11 year old girl is having a birthday party and she's just insistent that, um, Tippy Hedren and stick around for the birthday party begging her, but she's known her for all like two hours. It seems a little bizarre there. Um, okay. Right. So domestic stuff doesn't work. I think the first hour of the movie is bizarrely, um, muted at times. It's it's very strange, but I will say the second half of the movie, I think is pretty effective. I think the idea of birds being a bad guy is, is great. That's a great hard, uh, vehicle to use. I mean, birds are everywhere still. Um, and, uh, it is, you know, when you walk out of seeing this movie, and you see a bird for the first time, it does make you kind of give a second notion, like even, you know, 50 years later or whatever. That's, that's pretty effective storytelling by, by Hitchcock there then. I was driving home from the Luna and every now and then every, you know, 10 miles or so you'd see 10 or 12 birds. And just because it's so fresh, you're like, maybe I'm not quite, okay, what's going on with that? I think it's the way that the film was set up in the sense that it wasn't the most effective use of the birds as a, as a horror vehicle. I think a movie that did it better, and obviously with age, is something like Arachnophobia, where it's it's not just the birds you know, stalking these specific people everywhere they go. It was, okay, now here's a different situation that affects other people where the, you know, the spiders are going after them. So I thought with hindsight, there was a different way to do it. But I also understand it's 1963 and no one's really tried something like this before. So uh, this is really, it's nitpicking, but it's, again, it's knowing what I know now about cinema. It's the same way almost like comedy doesn't age well. Certain parts of horror don't age well as well, just because it's happened so often in our lifetimes. We've seen it so many times. Yeah. And people did obviously rip this off. And Arachnophobia is a great example. Arachnophobia, I, I agree with you, is a superior movie. But like, would Arachnophobia exist if it wasn't for the birds? Maybe not. Um, and uh, as far as Hitchcock and horror, like a lot, of, you know, the reason Hitchcock is so great uh, is that some of his horror movies are just so timeless. I mean, Psycho could happen today. Um, you know, like, and, and the way that story, and I think what happened was he got a little 
too deep into the psycho catnip. So, you know, he makes psycho, which the first half hour of that movie is a heist movie. And then it becomes a horror movie, the, the last two acts. And I think he got like, he kind of got off on that where he's like, all right, cool. I'm like kind of, ha- I'm playing with the audience a little bit with kind of what their expectations are when they come see a, a, a Hitchcock movie. And he kind of plays it up in this movie just too much. Like it's just too much of the domestic stuff up top. Like we want to see more birds. I mean, but then like he'll do something like, you know, in this movie, he has a, a scene where you're looking at, um, it's Tippy Hedren's looking at a, like a, a playground. And there's like one black crow appears and then she turns her head and looks back and now it's three crows and she turns her head and looks back and now it's eight crows. It's like a small thing like that, but it's pretty scary. And you're like, oh shit. Like there's a school right next door. Every time she even turns her head, these birds are multiplying. And that I thought it was really effective, really simple. Like the idea is so simple, but yet it's really well done by Hitchcock there. And I think it's benefited by the fact of the the creepy school children singing. That's kind of what heightens that the mo- And I would say that, what do you think? Is that scene probably somewhere in like two minutes? Because it, it, it felt building and building and building. And then obviously when they pan back and all of a sudden there's clearly about 200 birds right in front of you on screen. That was a really, really effective screen uh, scene. Yeah, some of the worst uh, children singing you'll ever hear in a movie. Uh, <laughs> kids, just terrible voices. Um, also, what kind of school is that? Are we just sing all day? Yeah, and also wildly like I know this Botany Bay, which is a real place. I had no idea; I never heard of it. Um, Bodega Bay. Bod- I'm sorry. Why do I keep saying that? Bodega Bay. Excuse me. I, I didn't know it was a real place. Um, and I saw pictures of it. It looks it looks almost the same now. Uh, it looks like a beautiful spot. So that was the thing I was thinking when I watched it. I, I want to live here. This place looks awesome. You got the old downtown convenience store, the bay to you know go out there and do some fishing. That that's an idyllic place to want to live. You have you have the, the the ocean right there, and then right behind you are the mountains. It, it looked yeah. it looked beautiful. Um, I can see why people would want it like that. Uh, Rod Taylor's character would only go back to San Francisco when he had to. I'd stay I'd stay in this bodega bay all the time. Can I ask you a quick question about the, his his character and, and Kathy? How old is he supposed to be? They're siblings, and it seems like he's pushing forty, and she is turning eleven. That is a wild, wild span of ages. Yeah, very strange. In real life, he was only 33. Um, he wow. looks like he's like 45. He's only 33. Yeah. But even so, like 33 and 11 is kind of weird. Maybe 18 when Jessica Tandy has him. And then, you know, like that you could kind of do the math there a little bit. But um, yeah, believe it or not, um, Rod Taylor and Tippi Hedren were, I think, almost exactly the same age even though she looks like 10 years younger than him. Um, As far as Hitchcock movies go, so like I said, this isn't in my top tier. I put this with a movie like Rope, um, which is a good movie, um, but not something I love or or need to revisit a lot. Um, But like Rear Window to me is my absolute favorite Hitchcock movie. I watched it again last year. Um, My wife had never seen it. um, And it still had, it was still as exciting. Like you're on the edge of your seat, that whole third act, like you're so scared you can't move. I mean, it's just, it's so intense and the way it builds and he builds that one slowly too. The first act of that movie, nothing, I mean, nothing happens. I mean, you're literally in an apartment with a guy in a wheelchair, like nothing is happening. Um, And by that third act though, like you you couldn't, you know, pay me to look away from the screen. Um, That is a masterwork by him. And and North by Northwest, I think is a much better movie than this. Um, Is those some of your favorites as well? Yeah, so I was trying to think back, like trying to rank them. And again, I haven't, he's done so much cinema. To watch all of it would take forever. So I came up with my top five and the order can switch every now and then in terms of what I would think. But I'm thinking just five to one right now off the top of my head. Strangers on a Train, uh, 
north by northwest, rear window, then psycho and vertigo can switch, you know, depending on how I feel that day. But that's kind of what I like in terms of, you know, my Hitchcock. But I'm also someone as well, I don't know if you were the same way. My first really introduction to Hitchcock was watching Alfred Hitchcock Presents on TV. So that was my initial entry into the blog. It used to be on Nick and Night. So that was the thing you just stayed up late and watch some Hitchcock. Oh, and then you found out he had movies as a kid. And then as you go, because they're older movies, you'd go over to your grandpa's house. His grandpa had all the VHS tapes of those movies. That's how I kind of came to his movies itself and, and started to really kind of study them. Same thing for me. Um, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock Presents was on Nick and Night, like you said. And that's why I watched The Birds when I was eight or nine years old. Is because I went on a Hitchcock kick. And, yeah. you know, uh, a lot of times... Um, I was in New York at the time, so we had Channel 11 and Channel 9. They would kind of play, kind of like the movies, like if you're in Boston, like 38, Channel 38 and Channel 56 would play. Just like syndicated programming during the night and then during the day, they would play you know, movies or, or whatever. And they have, they have like creature features on Saturday afternoons. And most of the time it was like, you know, your typical, you know, universal monsters, like, you know, uh, Frankenstein or, or Dracula or, or, you know, some old Vincent Price. Yeah. yeah, or or you get some like Vincent Price movie or what have you. But then every once in a while, like they'd s- sneak in a uh, some Hitchcock movies in there, and um and that was always pretty exciting because I mean Hitchcock, I, I think Hitchcock the name still really rings true even today. Like I think he still has cachet. But when in the eighties he had you know he died less than a decade ago, so he still had some real you know Hitchcock had especially when he's on Nick at Night, uh, and it was just it felt like there was like a hit the name Hitchcock had so much more meaning even back then. And, um, yeah, I'd, I'd always try to stop whatever I was doing to catch a Hitchcock movie. So, you know, I saw all, all those movies, um, the ones that I've seen, I, I saw a lot of them when I, when I was younger. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to say most of them hold up. I, I think I did like the birds more when I was younger. Um, I don't, like I said, when, watching it this time, it seemed clunkier. It seemed a lot more uneven. Maybe things I would have forgiven when I was watching this when I was a kid. Um, but I don't know if I ever really truly loved this movie. No, I think the, the thing that kept throwing me off as I was watching it again was whoever did the sound for this movie is a crazy person. When she's starting to leave uh, from San Francisco to go to Bodega Bay, she gets into, first of all, her Aston Martin, because apparently everyone has an Aston Martin back in 1963. Well, they did and say she was rich. These, they did say she had uh, a lot of money. Okay. But, so my big thing was not necessarily the car that she was driving, was that as she's driving down the windy road, all you hear is skidding tires like she is going 85 miles an hour on every single you know bend which i thought i'm just like that's not how anyone would drive a car especially down that road and then the other part of the sound is if you remember the scene where the birds get into the house and all of a sudden everyone's being swarmed no one is screaming there are birds everywhere i'd be and again maybe there's sensors in terms of, i just think you can't swear that's obviously something that wouldn't happen back then but like no one's yelling ah oh my god help me it's just it's this very quiet scene where all we hear are the birds which do not sound like birds they sound like other animals that were later put into some sort of sound process that sound like birds but no one's having an actual guttural reaction to the fact that they're being attacked by ten thousand birds which i thought was a little weird yeah the sound was strange i you could tell hitchcock or the sound engineer or both really wanted to amplify that bird sound. Cause that, that overwhelms you. And I think that, I think I mean, I'm totally guessing here, but it seems like they wanted us to feel like we were there. Like just look at how the effects are laid out. Um, and it's, you know, the birds at some point overwhelm the screen and it seems like they wanted you to almost feel like you were being attacked by the birds. I do want to talk about the effects. Uh, but before I go any further, do you have a collection of sports cards sitting in your basement collecting dust? Have you ever wondered what your binders full of baseball cards are worth? 
Are you a fan of sports cards or heard of this recent boom in the sports card industry? Now is the time to reach out to Alex with Saints 413 and cash in on your collection. Alex specializes in all aspects of the sports card industry from buying, selling, trading, grading, and even running box breaks. Alex has been in the sports card industry for over 15 years and has bought and sold hundreds of thousands of dollars in sports cards. Since the start of the pandemic, the industry has taken off. So don't put it off any longer. Reach out to Alex to help you cash in. And if you are already on the sports card trading bandwagon, Alex runs multiple box breaks each week with the latest and best products through his eBay store at Saints413. He also has a YouTube channel at Saints413Breaks. For more information on how you can sell your cards for some side cash or get some help navigating through the sports card industry, reach out to Alex at saints413breaks at gmail.com. That's saints413breaks at gmail.com or through his eBay store at saints413. He would love to hear from you. Go get some Go get some of that side cash from those sports cards. Go reach out to Alex right now. I'll have all that information in the show notes. Okay, the effects. Um, they don't hold up uh, a lot of times. Like the birds, they, you know, they use... Looks like kind of like a matte screen at times, or I think they were using what they called like a blue screen. Um, and they, they were trying, they had some robotic birds. They had some real birds. Um, the real birds at the end that are attacking Tippy Hydrant is so much more effective than like you mentioned, like in that chimney scene, when you can tell you're just putting over like a film of like birds on in front of the camera, like you can tell they're not, they're not really there. Um, that took me out of the movie a little bit. And it's probably unfair complaint about a 60 year old movie, but it is what it is. I think that was the most haunting scene is when he walks out, so when he opens that door and there's all those birds just sitting there in the lot. You don't know what they're going to do. Again, this is one of my criticisms. So if you're about to bring a traumatized woman outside to the car, maybe before you open the door for her, let her know you're about to see a bunch of birds or tell her to close her eyes or do something else. So she, the moment she opens the door and sees 10,000 birds that just recently attacked her, that she doesn't scream and then frighten them. And then once they get her in the car, before he goes and gets Kathy, they leave the door open. Yes, they do. What are we doing? What are we doing? These guys just attacked you like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, that's that's bad. That's bad direction. I mean, I hate to yeah. hate to throw Hitchcock under the bus here, but um, yeah, they leave the car door open. They leave a couple of different doors open. They leave a couple of different windows open at times. And even like when Tippy Hedren goes into that guest, like whatever that bedroom was, see what's going on, like. Why are you doing this? What 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 is the gain here? Um, yeah, I, I think I think maybe it's harder to have situations where these people are running into the birds more than you might think. I mean, they go inside the house, they lock themselves in, they board up. Well, at that point, then it becomes a different kind of movie. So if that's like a post-apocalyptic movie, is that what you want to tell? That's a different movie than what Hitchcock I think wanted to show us, which was people getting attacked people that we might not like, or might have some questions about getting attacked by birds. Um, some people, some critics question kind of what this movie means. Like when this movie came out, a lot of people said that Hitchcock was basically hated humanity. And that's what this movie was showing since then. Some people say that a lot has to do with the sexuality elements of it. Um, especially with Tippi Hedren's character. Um, maybe they're like passing judgment on her, maybe being promiscuous. Um, there's also questions about like what each woman means. You have an 11 year old girl, you have a mother, you have a spurned lover played by Pochette. You have a new lover played by Hedrin. And like, what does that all mean as far as who the birds are attacking, but also kind of where they stand with Rod Taylor. Um, I think that might be overthinking things a little bit though. 
I like, and I like this in a lot of movies. A lot of movies try to over-explain what the meaning of it is. I also like when they have, there's that we're not going to tell you what it means. You interpret it as you see fit. You 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 create that reality of yourself and, and impart any types of you know ideas that you have upon each of the characters and the plot of the movie. What I actually thought was interesting as I was watching it again, when uh, Tibby goes up into the you know the attic and finds the birds, it felt very similar to like the coda of Alien, where you think it's over. And then, you know, we think we're starting to, you know, draw down. And all of a sudden, that's where the the giant release is. And what I actually thought was interesting, I had to look it up when I came home, is that, do you know who plays Kathy Brenner? Yeah, Veronica Cartwright. Who is in Alien. Yeah, actually, she's, was, this is, you can make a case, and I believe this, that this is, The Birds is the, her third best scary movie. So she's in yeah. Alien, but she's also in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a movie that I love with Jeff Goldblum and yeah. Donald Sutherland. If you haven't seen that, check that out immediately. That came out in 78, I think. That is a fantastic a movie. movie. Um, this, yeah. So, I mean, how often is someone in an Alfred Hitchcock movie and it's their third best scary movie? Um, she's had an interesting career. Um, she's consistently worked, but never really broke out. She thought when she was doing Alien, she thought she was going to be getting the Sigourney Weaver role. Like she thought she had like a I major think she had the role. I think she had it. And then they found Sigourney and then she got to the set. They were shooting in England, I believe. And, um, and they're like, Oh no, actually you had this other role. And she's like, what the fuck? They're like, we're going to pay you the same, but yeah, you have this smaller role. That's a tough spot to be in. Um, she's had, like I said, kind of an odd career, but she's always been pretty good. Um, she's really good in invasion of body snatches. I think she's good in alien. She's pretty good in this. It's kind of a tough, you know, thankless role playing this little kid. You just got to scream all the time or pretend you're, you know, want this Tippy Hedren character around. It's not easy to do. Especially because there's no real character written around her. It's just, no. here's, here's your, here's your one note. Play it. Well, yeah, she's a placeholder. Um, really, uh, like she, she, there's no really no, she, there's no, like her character doesn't evolve or change or really do anything besides just get scared. Um, I guess another, <laughs> so at the end of the movie, they bring the two lovebirds with them. Now, these are people that have been attacked by birds. These are people that have had loved ones murdered by birds. And now they're going to bring two birds. Now, I understand they're pets, but you could always just uncage them and just run away. Like, why are we bringing birds with us in the car? That seemed bizarre to me. Oh, if I was Rod Taylor, I'd be like, listen, until Tippy Hedren and these birds came into my life, it was peachy keen. I'm leaving both of you in the house and getting the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> oh, no, poor Tippy. <laughs> Also, I had a quick thought about that because obviously Tippy Hedren plays Melanie Daniels. Tippy Hedren's daughter, as we know, is Melanie Griffin. And I didn't know if that was any, like, she loved this role so much she wanted to impart that name upon her daughter. But I, I just thought that was an interesting relationship as well. No, so Melanie Griffith was born before this. So Melanie Griffith came before oh, okay. the birds. And Hitchcock was so weird with Tippy Hedren that um, I guess for a gift, Hitchcock gave Melanie Griffith as a little girl, like a nine-year-old girl, whatever, a like um, like a toy, but it was like a coffin. And in the coffin was like a model of her mother, which is a strange <laughs> gift to give like a little kid. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I have not seen the documentary, but I guess there's a, um, I don't know if it's a documentary, I'm sorry. I think it's, no, it's, sorry, it's a movie. Excuse me. I've not seen the movie, the HBO film with uh, Toby Jones is Hitchcock. And I think, uh, was it Sierra um, Miller is, um, is Tippi Hedren. Sierra Miller? Uh, I'm sorry? Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller, excuse me. Sienna Miller is Tippi Hedren. And um, it's from Hedren's point of view. So it's Hitchcock making these advances. Now, Hitchcock's people on his side said it never happened. Um, but even Rod Taylor said that on the set of this movie, like 
Hitchcock was bizarrely possessive of Tippi Hedren. Like he would be like, oh, the second that I yell cut, you can't touch her anymore. Like he would just say really weird stuff to Rod Taylor about how he's behaving with Tippi Hedren. He's, it really kind of shook Taylor a little bit, which is funny because Tippi Hedren says most of the really fucked up shit happened during Marnie. So, um, yeah, Hitchcock's relationship with women, very odd. I mean, even if you can even see the movies, you know, you're always kind of chasing the same look of a woman like Grace Kelly and then Kim Novak and then obviously Tippi Hedren. Um, it's, you know, these very blonde women who are very like uh, classy and very almost like a cold exterior. And like you, from the 50s until the mid 60s, it's, like, it's really all he would, would have in his films with the exception maybe of Psycho. And I wonder if that's just the idea of, you know, Again, 1950s and 60s of damsel in distress, and it takes the right man to you know lead them to the you know, ultimately the prosperous land. So maybe that's just a, something that was going around at that time. I think that's true to some extent, but it is strange that he always had the same women all have the same look. Like yeah. all those women could have been sisters. Like it's a strange. It's I think it's a strange kind of thing to kind of lean to. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. Hitch, the Hitchcock's relationship with women seems very complicated. Um, and uh, you can see it in his movies. Um, even like something like Psycho to even something like this, like you have the four different uh, archetypes of women, you know, or at least that Hitchcock's working off of. It's strange. There's some, there's some bizarreness there. Um, anything else on, uh, on the birds? I think we wrapped it up. Perfect. Uh, I do want to talk quickly about the other movie I saw, which was, uh, oh, before we go any further, I do want to talk about uh, Luna Theater. So this was a better experience. You, you got yourself a beer. I did not drink. It was during the day. I don't drink during the day. How was your beer? It was delicious. It was a little, you know, I'm not going to complain. It was actually, it was delicious. It was good to have a beer again in a movie theater. It's been ages since I have, but uh, yeah, I thought the theater was excellent. The crowd was bigger, certainly than we, I thought you have a bigger crowd for Goodfellas, but no, it turns out the birds, which was great. It looked like everyone had a great time. They were showing the birds three different times that day. And we went to the earliest one, the two o'clock matinee. I was surprised how full it was. Uh, I say it was almost yeah. half full or, you know, whatever, 40% full. Uh, I, I was surprised. I, I didn't, didn't expect that. It was good to see. Um, and yeah, I think we, I said, I think we had a better experience this time than last. Uh, quickly on uh, Gagarin. Um, this is a French movie. Um, I saw this at the Landmark uh, Cinema in Kendall Square. Uh, and it's pretty good. I'm going to give this a C. It's about a 16-year-old boy who's living in this uh projects like this giant apartment building and they're gonna destroy this building and he's in a really tough spot because his single mom isn't around she's found a new lover and she's kind of, she's abandoned him and he's living on his own and this apartment building is kind of is all he has um it's the only people he knows it's uh and with without this apartment building he'd be very alone and he's trying to do everything he can to keep the apartment building first from being uh condemned and then once it gets condemned he's doing the best he can to try to um i think postpone reality to some extent uh, and also make it a very special place um it's a it's an interesting movie it, it sometimes goes into like the supernatural if you're a fan of or more like a dream state i guess if you're a fan of saint elsewhere um this had a similar type theme in that last season was when they were going to tear down the hospital and there was some bizarre supernatural slash dream stuff going on in that last season um and i just felt this rang true to a lot of that for me um the performances are a little bit off kilter i think it's asani Bethali plays yuri he's the the boy the 16 year old that's in the apartment building I don't know if he's the best lead. He's very quiet and soft-spoken, which I think that character should be. 
but he just wasn't as compelling enough for me. Um, but Lena Kudry plays Diana, uh, his, um, I guess the love interest or you know, the, the girl he wants to date or um, hang out with. And she's very good. Um, she, she jumps off the screen. I saw her in the French Dispatch, and even though that movie stinks, uh, she was she was pretty good in it as well. Um, so I wonder if she's going to get more and more work. You figure work with Wes Anderson, um, and in this movie is well regarded as well. It's fine um, if that if the, you know how what I'm describing is something that interests you. Definitely check it out. Um, but uh, I wasn't as compelled as as I had hoped I'd be. Um, like I said I'm going to give that one a C. I'm going to give the birds a B minus. Sounds like Justin's giving the birds a C minus. Um, tough. Justin coming in strong on Hitchcock. Didn't expect it, but you know that's that's where it lies. I'll be seeing Vertigo next week in New Orleans, um, so I'll I'll talk more about that, and I'll give my top five after that episode, uh, at least of the Hitchcock movies that I've seen. I'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, I'll be back from New Orleans by then um, with a full report of some of the new theaters I've seen there and some of those experiences. I will talk to you folks on Tuesday. <laughs>